Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And my co-host on this broadcast is Tim Bench from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful to tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members, Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can give me a call to Steve B's Media Productions at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you would be with my co-host on the broadcast, Tim Bench and Clay Phillips, 
as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts that they continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would be that you would bless our listeners who are tuning in this radio broadcast via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul's salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask that you will forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we sometimes fall short of your will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you would save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening will be in the first segment. Tim Bench, he serves with the Oham Lane Church of Christ there in Abilene, Texas. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shout out platform on social media, Facebook, that I'll be posing to my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington. He serves with the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. And he'll be answering our question on the show this evening. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Clay Phillips. He serves as the evangelist for the Rose City Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. And he'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the, after the break, this is what you hear be that of my co-host, Tim Bench. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Show. 
time on it's been the line. Let us gather just for a crown of us in the light. Come on, it's been the line. Send the light, oh, the blessed gospel light. Let us shine from the source. listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host tim bench and his subject judas iscariot good evening as stevie mentioned my name is tim bench and i'm calling in tonight from abilene texas and as always we want to issue a warm welcome to all of our listeners across the United States and across the globe. It's always a pleasure to have people join us for our weekly presentations, and we hope that our segments here will always prove to be beneficial, educational, and scriptural, and uh, we're just glad that you've decided to join us this evening. Many men and boys bear the names of famous New Testament characters. There are examples such as Stephen, Philip, Timothy, my own name, and likewise, many men bear the names of New Testament apostles. John, James, Peter, Andrew, Matthew, Philip, Thomas. But I'm sure that we can all notice that one apostle's name is missing, and for no small reason. Much like the lack of females named Jezebel, I know of no parents anywhere at any time in history, in any location, who have named their baby boy Judas. The word Judas, taken from the Greek word Judas, Hebrew for the word Judah, and ironically, this name means to praise. There's no doubt due to the fact that Judas Iscariot, that name synonymous with treachery and deceit, is perhaps the most well-known name associated with villainy in the history of humankind. As we read from Scripture, for a pathetic 30 pieces of silver, Judas Iscariot would betray Jesus into the eager and waiting hands of the Roman authorities. And we see that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 15. This is from Al Maxi, 
and uh, grace-centered. Quote, in the various listings of the twelve within the New Covenant documents, the name of Judas always appears last. Additionally, there is added to his name some brief but very negative characterization. The one who betrayed him, Matthew chapter 10, verse 4. He who also betrayed him, Mark chapter 3, verse 19. He who became a traitor, Luke 6, 16. The Apostle John further portrays Judas Iscariot as a devil in John chapter 6, verse 70, and a thief, John 12, verse 6, as one who was motivated and possessed by Satan, John chapter 13, verse 2, and John 13, verse 27, and as the son of perdition in John chapter 17, verse 12. One biblical scholar commented, it is though the evangelist could not paint this man black enough in retrospect. Dr. Herbert Lockyer writes the following, there are 40 verses in the New Testament in which there is a reference to the betrayal of our Lord, and in each of them the dastardly sin of Judas is recorded, end quote. From American history, we know that Benedict Arnold famously betrayed a human cause. Judas Iscariot betrayed the Son of God. His name is a synonym for that which is rancid evil, and few men in history have had greater opportunities to know the truth and to serve a fallen race than did Judas. Yet he wickedly abused his own status and privileges and sought his own personal gain, regardless of the sin involved or the cost to others around him. And if the measure of a man's responsibility is his ability plus his opportunities, heavy and horrifying must be the judgment and the agonies that Judas is experiencing at this very moment. After he committed suicide, the Bible tells us that he, quote, went to his own place, Acts chapter 1, verse 25, to eternal torment. From John Gill's exposition of the Bible, quote, which may be understood of Judas and of his going to hell as the just punishment of his sin, end quote. From James Burton Kaufman in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, quote, Judas Iscariot was cited by David Lipscomb as being an example of faith to perform miracles, but with no love of Christ. Judas had faith to work miracles, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, that he did not possess love, betrayed the Lord, and went to his own place, end quote. Finally, regarding Judas's eternal destiny, these are the frightening words in John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name, those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. There are those who would argue that Judas did not have free will, or he was forced to commit his deed, or would... Uh, not thus go to hell for his crime. He couldn't be held uh, guilty or accountable for it. Those people obviously ignore the very words of Jesus in this passage. From Albert Barnes, notes on the Bible, quote, Judas is called a son of perdition because he had the character of a destroyer. He was a traitor and a murderer. And this shows that he who knew the heart regarded his character as that of a wicked man 
one whose appropriate name was that of a son of perdition, end quote. From Bible Study Tools on John chapter 17, verse 12, quote, Judas, a child of Satan, whose name is Apollon the Destroyer, was now about to betray his Lord and Master and was one that was appointed to eternal ruin and destruction of which he was justly deserving, end quote. And finally, from the Son of Perdition, from the June 4th, 2017 issue of uh, the uh, publication from the Colbert Washington Church of Christ, quote, The church that Paul had established in Thessalonica had some who set out to beguile the faithful Christians in regard to the immediate return of Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Paul explains to the Thessalonians that they are not to trouble themselves over this faulty information. He then gives them an idea as to when the Lord would come again. Before Jesus comes again, there will be a falling away on the part of many Christians, and the son of perdition will be exposed, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Note the connection between the falling away and the son of perdition being exposed. The two events coincide even to the point of their being synonymous. Other synonymous terms for the son of perdition in this chapter are the man of sin in chapter 2, verse 3, and the lawless one in chapter 2, verse 8. The falling away is associated with the mystery of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, and the working of Satan, chapter 2, verse 9, as consequences of the son of perdition's work. Interestingly, Paul states that the mystery of lawlessness doth already work in chapter 2, verse 7. If, then, the mystery of lawlessness already works, the falling away has already begun, and the son of perdition is already in existence in the days of Paul, and the day of the Lord is at hand. The only other place in our Bible that uses the term son of perdition is John chapter 17, verse 12, where Jesus so labels Judas Iscariot. Jesus is praying in John 17, and the subject matter is unity through truth. Judas did not hold to the truth. Rather than being a son of God, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and 1 John 3, 1, Judas was of his father the devil, and thereby a son of perdition, John chapter 8, verse 44. Judas was not unlike many fallen away Christians today. Sad ones are defectors from the faith, having departed from the truth. And the word defector and departure define the words falling away, the Greek word apostasia. That which caused Judas, a son of perdition, to defect from the truth was his interest in the mystery of lawlessness, which was the working of Satan. Judas did not receive the truth in love, but rather had pleasure and unrighteousness, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, end quote. The question which many immediately ask, why would Judas possibly commit such a deed? Why would he serve to betray Jesus Christ? And I want to share this observation from the June 3rd, 1993 issue of The Guardian of Truth by Mike Willis, quote, when he witnessed the wastefulness of the woman who anointed Jesus with precious ointment, he rebuked Jesus for allowing this to happen, John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Matthew ties this event 
to his decision to betray Jesus to the Jews for 30 pieces of silver. He probably perceived that Jesus had no intentions of establishing an earthly kingdom and that there would be no exalted position to bring him wealth, power, and fame, end quote. And so, therefore, it could have been Judas Iscariot's ego that drove him to commit his crime. This is from Euless Reed in the Gospel Guardian, April 13, 1967. Quote, What happened to Judas? What caused him to betray the Lord for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver? Baptists and others teach that the devil was in Judas from the beginning. But the Bible does not teach this. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, we have this divine record. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then, that's an interesting word and where it's inserted, then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being a number of the twelve. Observe that Luke says that as they were preparing to observe the Passover supper, then Satan entered into Judas. John states, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas was a faithful disciple of Christ until he allowed Satan to enter his heart. Acts chapter 1 Verses 16 and 17, Peter says, Men and brethren, this scripture must need have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Later on in the same chapter, verses 23 through 25, we have the record of Matthias being chosen to take the place of Judas, who by transgression fell. If Judas had never been saved, how could he fall? What could he have fallen from? The same thing that happened to Judas can happen to children of God today. He allowed Satan to enter into his heart, and therefore by transgression he fell, end quote. When we read these stories in the New Testament, we can shudder in awe. We can shudder and cringe at the magnitude of Judas's sins, yet we are in measure and at times guilty of the same sins. In and of self, we are often no better than Judas. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There are many listening tonight and near us on a daily basis following the exact same road that led Judas to betray the Lord and ultimately to lose his soul. So tonight I want us to briefly look at and consider six facts and six Bible truths about Judas, which will hopefully enable us to profit by his terrible mistakes. His life and his sins and his afterlife can serve as a warning to us and to others who will hear and who will heed. Number one fact about Judas. Judas was one of the twelve apostles. Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, gives us a list of the names of the apostles, and Judas is one of those twelve. He had an exalted position in the inner circle of Jesus Christ himself, an honor the likes of which only a tiny number of men in history have known. He was a companion of the trio of Peter and James and John. 
Judas claimed to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. He professed to love and to trust the Lord, and probably, probably, he had been baptized by John the Baptist himself, Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. But even though he was an apostle, Judas became lost. Just as there are paths from the lowest depths to the greatest heights, there are likewise paths from the greatest heights to the lowest depths. This would become Judas's route to his ultimate fate. And if an apostle can tumble into such unabated levels of temptation and sin and iniquity, why would we possibly think that today we cannot fall away? Number two point about Judas, he was a preacher. This is emphasized in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. Judas preached and he performed miracles, yet again he betrayed the Lord and was lost. Some will casually assume that a preacher must, by definition, be on a higher moral plane than the ordinary or common man or woman. As we all probably know, nothing could be further from the truth. The list of shamed and disgraced preachers, and I use that term loosely, just within the last 30 years should clearly show that preachers are no more immune to temptation than anyone else. We can all think of the examples that we've seen, Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker and Oral Roberts, swindlers and liars and adulterers, no different than a teacher or a salesman or a professional athlete. Just because a man is a preacher does not mean that he has a through ticket to heaven or that he's not subject to the same pitfalls and temptations common to all of humanity. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 27. Paul says, I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. Jesus speaks the following strong words in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name, and by thy name cast out demons, and by thy name do many mighty works? And then... I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Simply stated, people are not always what they appear and are not always as religious or moral or Christian as they may seem to be at first glance. Preaching is indeed one of the most important works in the world, for God has chosen this means, among others, to bring sinners to a saving knowledge of Christ. But... Preachers are in an often perilous position. They are prominent targets for Satan's darts, and they stand in constant need of the prayers of God's people. Certainly, preachers need the whole armor of God, as we all do, described in Ephesians. For obvious reasons, Jesus, Satan, would love to cause preachers and teachers to stumble and to fail morally at spectacular lengths, and the more public, the better. Judas was a preacher, but he rejected the Savior, and ultimately his soul was lost for it. Number three fact about Judas. He lived with Christ for more than three years. Jesus and the twelve apostles were together much of the time during the Lord's earthly ministry. They heard him teach, and they watched him 
performed miracles, and they observed him going about doing good, not just going about. Under his leadership, they ate, and they slept, and they worked, and traveled together. They saw his actions and his reactions every day in the week under every kind of possible test. And yet not once did Judas observe sin in Jesus' words or deeds. Even though he lived in close contact with the Savior, even though he lived amongst these faithful disciples, the all-important relationship with the Lord was lacking. And in the time of testing, Judas failed. Judas sided with the enemy. It's not enough to merely live and associate with Christians, and it's not enough to know a great deal about the Lord. The question is, do I really know him? Do I truly obey him? Do I actually follow him as my Savior and as my Lord? This is a question that all of us should ask ourselves, and a question that as we look at the life of Judas, we can definitively say, no, he did not. Excuse me. Point number four, Judas was seemingly a man of high moral character. There's not a hint in the New Testament record that the other apostles were doubtful about Judas. And in fact, their confidence in him was so great that he was actually selected as treasurer for the group. As late as the Last Supper, the other apostles did not suspect Judas of uh, any sort of crime, nor did they ever point accusing fingers at him. When Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, in Mark chapter 14, verses 17 through 21. Judas serves as a perfect example of an apparently good and moral and devoted man who made good impressions on others, but he came to his terrible end because he was not genuine. He was a phony. He was a facade, a hypocrite, one who merely claimed to be what he should have been and was not. Judas fooled men who looked on the outward appearance, but he did not fool the one who counted the most. Christ could see through Judas. Judgment, drawing closer for each and every one of us with each passing day and with each passing hour, will reveal whatever is unreal and sinful in each of our motives and our characters and our hearts. Nothing can be hidden from God even things that we may attempt to hide from our loved ones. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. And God looks upon and knows the heart. Point number five about Judas. Greed and the love of money would lead to Judas's downfall. And certainly this is a theme that I would suspect most all of us have seen in, a, in personal terms throughout our lives. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, reveals Judas's covetousness and his dishonesty. Obviously, the fall of this apostle was not sudden. He had been building up to this crisis over a period of time. Backsliding and apostasy are usually slow processes. Testing time is sure to come to the many today whose spiritual life is being eroded by the love of money. And like Judas of old, Millions are betraying Christ and selling their souls for money, for dollars. The outside, the exterior of some people may appear to be devout and dedicated and focused on Christ, while their inner focus in their heart is filled with evil desires and thoughts and plans for personal gain. 
I personally know people who will spend hours each and every day focused on sales and wealth and acquiring more and more goods while giving little to no thought of any aspect of church or of Jesus Christ or of the gospel. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Like Judas, many will soon find out the answer to that question. The sixth and final point about Judas for us to consider tonight, one sin often leads to another. Judas reached the point where he was completely under Satan's grasp and control, Luke 22, verse 3. He descended to the depths of hypocrisy by betraying Christ to the mob with a kiss, a token gesture of love and loyalty. Judas gave lip service to the Lord, but his heart was far from him. And following his horrific crime, the apostle was filled with terrible remorse. But instead of attempting to repent, as did Peter, Judas would commit another horrific sin, sealing his doom for all eternity with his suicide. Judas made horribly wrong choices and followed the wrong path, the broad road. He was responsible for his actions and he would and does reap what he sowed. He sold his own soul for 30 pieces of silver, and his sense of values was obviously terribly distorted. Of Judas, again, Jesus himself said, good were it for that man if he had never been born, in Luke chapter 14, verse 21. But yet, the question for all of us to apply today, are any of Judas's sins uncommon to all of mankind? Have you or have you not been guilty of greed in your life? Have you or have you not at some point been more concerned over the acquisition of money than towards following Jesus? Have you or have you not lied to others in your life? Have you not at some point led people around you to believe something about you which was not accurate? Have you not turned your back in your lifetime, be it for a few days or a few weeks or a few decades, on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Have you ever betrayed someone who trusted you? There's, again, nary a sin which Judas Iscariot committed, which, if we are not completely honest with ourselves, we have likewise not committed ourselves at some level somewhere in our lifetimes and in our past. The most infamous name in human history can provide us with a wide range of sins committed by him. This same man's sins can highlight similar flaws and shortcomings and sins in our own lives. All of us will stand before God and all of us will answer for the lives that we have led and for the choices that we have made. We are called of God in Christ, so let none of us sell out our Savior and let us not exchange the treasures of heaven for the trinkets, the worthless trinkets of earth. In the case of Judas Iscariot, never was so little paid for so much, and such a deal will only serve to deny you your eternal home. What would it take for you to sell out the good shepherd, your Savior, your Messiah? As we all know, Jesus, Judas had his price tag, the 30 pieces of silver. We should all fear that many of us do today as well, have our price tags. This is from Robert Stein from Precept Austin. Quote, It is frightening and somewhat disheartening to come to the realization that people can profess 
Christ and yet be a Judas in their heart. If you've been in ministry long enough, you have undoubtedly experienced the deep disappointment of betrayal by someone from within the ranks of those whom you minister, end quote. This concludes my segment for tonight, and I want to issue this invitation, for lack of a better word, to all of our listeners. If there is a need of of prayer or support uh, with an issue that you may be struggling with, a sin which may be affecting your Christian walk, as always, there are men affiliated with this show who will be more than happy to study with you, who will pray with you, and who stand prepared to help you in any way possible. There's no sin that you can endure that's not common to all of humanity. And whatever sin may afflict you, you are not alone. We want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight for this episode of the Gospel Light. Wherever you are, we hope that these materials again this evening will serve to edify and benefit you in your Christian walk. And we again want to thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, and God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. These are the announcements for the events and activities in the Churches of Christ. If you'd like to have your events and activities announced on this radio broadcast, you can give me a call at Stevie B's Media Production, Carolina Studio, at 910-491-6405. Or you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. On Thursdays at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 9 p.m. Central Standard Time and 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, there will be a nationwide gospel call that is sponsored by the Church of Christ in Highland Heights in Houston, Texas. And the telephone number to this call is 857-216-6700 and access code is 328-497. This is a nationwide outreach for those who are not members of the Churches of Christ. And speakers will be presenting a basic salvation message for them to learn what they must do in order to be saved, as well as information about the churches of Christ. In addition, it is intended to strengthen and edify the faith of those who are Christians. On Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, the Delcrest Church of Christ in San Antonio, Texas, presents the Women's Virtual Bible Class. And this Bible class will be held on www.zoom.com. Class ID numbers 821-3692-8262. And we every day of the week at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time, the Ladies in Christ prayer line hosted by the Church of Christ in Lafayette, Louisiana. And the number to this prayer line is 605-472-5203. And the access code is 514-859. My co-host here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, Steve Corto, he has a new book entitled God Gracing You. And you can order this book from the 21st Century Christian 
catalog. There will be well, that's about now on Stevie B's new production. We have uh, two new productions that we are presenting here now on every third Tuesday of the month on What a Word the Lord radio show, and that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. That's the new production entitled The Mid-Tennessee Singles Ministry, and that also on every fourth Tuesday of the month, we have the Kelly Fletcher Show. So these are new productions that will start at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time on What a Word from the Lord radio show. So make sure you tune in and support those programs. And just a program reminder, we're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. And to listen to these shows live, just call 713-955-0508. Or you can type in your search bar at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Gospel Light Radio Show. On Tuesday evening each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'm hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. Now, I have uh, changed the the way we're doing that show. Uh, we're producing that show now every, every second Tuesday of the month because of the new productions that I have on that show. We will only be doing guest speakers every second Tuesday of the month on that show. And we will have a guest speaker every second Tuesday with the Community Corner segment as well. And one of my co-hosts speaking on that particular show. And then on the third and the fourth Tuesdays, we will have those new productions that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And then on Thursday night, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Night Radio Show. And on this radio show, we have eight co-hosts who will be presenting messages from the Word of God. And each week, we'll have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out that I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on this show. And then on Friday night, we have a new time Stevie B's Acapella Gospel Music Blast will air at a new time from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this radio show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. The Story Glory segment, we also try to do that every first Friday of the month, but on this Friday night, that that is an open date. I had... uh, the group, the C-Notes out of Jackson, Mississippi, we had them scheduled for October the 1st, but we have to reschedule them for a later date. So as it stands right now, that is an open date on this Friday night. So we'll just probably just do a regular show on this Friday night. But on October the 12th, we will have a special guest on that particular show, the new image out of Nashville, Tennessee. Looking forward to talking to those brothers on that broadcast. And then on October the 19th, we'll be doing the Top 20 Countdown show for the month of October. Uh, I'm sorry, October the 15th, we'll be doing the Top 20 Countdown show for the month of October. And then on October the 22nd, my special guest on that show will be Curtis Williamson from Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be debuting a new CD, a new album from him. And we'll just play a few of those singles on that particular radio show. 
And then on October the 29th, we will, my special guest on that show will be Irvin C. Jackson from Wesley Chapel, Florida. He'll be debuting some new music on that radio show. Ladies and gentlemen, if wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from, if you can't catch any of these shows live, just pull up wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from. There's just so many musical platforms that we are on now that you can listen to these uh, live, I mean, listen to these shows that we're producing here each week on the Stevie B Media Production. Uh, just to name a few, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube, wherever you're getting your um, music from or your podcast from, you can pull up these shows here under Stevie B Media Productions. I'd like to give a shout out to all of my sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. We have a sponsorship manager. Her name is Michelle Marco. If you want to be a, become a sponsor for any of these shows, just give her a call at 954-687-4705, and she's out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I'd like to give a shout-out to all of my sponsors. We certainly appreciate all of our sponsors. I can't say that enough because I'm, uh, I really do appreciate them supporting these radio shows. Sherwin Norwood out of Chicago, Illinois, Bethesda Memorial, Trinity Director Crematory Services out of DeSoto, Texas, uh, Stanley uh, Phillips out of Little Rock, Arkansas, Cheryl Marat from Charlotte, North Carolina, Yvonne Blazing Cracker Gooch from Nashville, Tennessee, Melvin Jackson from High Point, North Carolina, Marquise Hallman from Charlotte, North Carolina, and Stephanie Booker Wilson from Greensboro, North Carolina, and Diversified Financial Network LLC out of Dallas, Texas, and Odane Faith Publishing out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The three E's of Stevie B's Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to ed- educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcement. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. Stay tuned. We shout out our question. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. It ain't easy. No. Sometimes it gets hard down here, Lord. Sometimes it gets rough. So rough, so rough Sometimes it gets tough for me Has anybody been lonely All by yourself? Has anybody been sad? Broken hearted and sad Have you even been met? You had to cry all night long. I know it's hard, but what you need to do, you need to wait. God's gonna see you through. Night 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on the Gospel Light Radio Show, this is the portion of the broadcast where we have a question for one of my co hosts, and this is uh, Dr. Frank Washington from 
the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. Hey, Dr. Frank, how you doing this evening? Oh, doing great, Stevie. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just fine. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before we ask this question, we just want to encourage our listeners to join in that group on social media, on Facebook, and please get involved in those biblical discussions. Got some good questions going on in that group. Now, the question that we have for you this evening, Dr. Frank, is from the anonymous queries from the state of Texas. And the question is, how can we know that the Bible comes to us from God? What say you to this question? Well, that's a great question, uh, Brother Stevie. Uh, that's a, a very good question. And it comes from a very great state of Texas where uh, Brother Tim resides and where uh, my roots began. Uh, so it must be a very good question. And so we're going to try to give it a very good answer um, for uh, this uh, person who's asking from Texas. But, you know, I have to, you know, I have to say that to answer this question correctly and fully is going to take more time uh, than I have time for. Um, so we're going to try to do this as expeditiously as we can. But I believe we're going to do some a series on this, Brother Tim and I. Uh, and I appreciate uh, Brother Tim's message today. Uh, he's going to bring some uh, interesting comments about uh, the Bible, the Word of God. And we're going to try to help those uh, individuals out there who believe that um, can the Bible be right? Is, is the Bible right? How did we get our Bible? Um, I think these are uh, pertinent and relevant questions today uh, that even uh, the young millennials are asking um, asking today. So as we get into this question, how do we know that the Bible you know, comes from uh, or how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? Very good question. The answer uh, to this question will, I believe, enhance, uh, it will augment how the Bible is viewed and the importance it has in our lives. But our answer will have an eternal impact uh, on the lives of those uh, who hear this. But here's the caveat. To dismiss the Bible is to dismiss God. Now, a number of Christians answered this question, but unfortunately not all these answers have been uh, as cogent as we might hope. And some answers make very little sense at all. So before we get into this, I want to let you know that the, the word Bible uh, in the Greek, biblia, meaning books, from the word biblos, meaning written document, especially one written originally on a papyrus, refers to a number of books considered sacred and canonical among Christians. But the Bible is an extraordinary work of literature, and it makes some astonishing claims. It records details of the creation. It records details of the beginning of life, the moral law of God, history of man's rebellion against God, and the historical details of how God worked, worked out redemption for all of mankind who trust in his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Moreover, the Bible claims to be God's revelation to mankind. And if true, this has implications for all aspects of life. It has implications for how we should live, how we exist, and what happens uh, when we die, and what the meaning and our purpose is for our life. But how do we know if the claims of the Bible are true. 
First of all, the Bible comes to us uh, through God's revelation and inspiration. Revelation uh, is a word that means uh, communication of truth by God to man. The revelation is not the same as inspiration. Revelation occurs when God imparted truth to man, especially to the prophets and apostles. Inspiration, on the other hand, occurred uh, when he ensured the accurate recording of the revelation so that others, you and I, might benefit. Now, a number of Christians have tried to answer this question, and unfortunately, not all of the answers have been cogent as we might hope. Um, and there's been a shortfall on on good answers. Here's a few of, I guess you want to say, not good answers uh, to that question. One is some Christians have argued for the truth of the scriptures by pointing to the changes in their own lives that belief in the God who inspired the Bible has induced, like receiving Jesus as Lord in a life-changing experience that brings great joy. You know, the Bible uh, helped me to become a believer uh, as a new creation, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. However, this change does not in and of itself prove that the Bible is true. People might experience positive feelings and changes by believing in a position that happens uh, to be false. There, uh, another uh question or answer that uh, Christians give is, uh, I believe the Bible by faith. When asked how they know that the Bible is true, they've answered, we know the Bible is true by faith. But while that answer may sound pious, it may sound good, it's not very logical, nor is it correct. Is it a correct application of scripture? Faith is confidence or confident belief and something you cannot perceive with your senses, according to Hebrews 11 and 1. So when I believe without observation that the earth's core is molten, I am acting on a type of faith. Likewise, when I believe in God, whom I cannot directly see, I'm acting on faith. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We should indeed have faith in God and his word, and but by faith response to whether or not the Bible comes from the word of God, the by faith response does not actually answer the objection that's been posed, and namely how we know uh, that the Bible is true. There's also internal versus external evidences that we can look at, but the Bible comes to us through God's revelation and through God's inspiration. Here's just a few more um, uh, answers that I've heard some Christians give uh, regarding inspiration. Inspiration is God's superintending uh, the production of the scriptures so that they were produced without error in the original manuscript. And some of the views on inspiration are not quite right, but here's a few. Um, there is a dictation view, which states that God dictated every word of the Bible to men who simply wrote the words down. That's an incorrect view. Um, another one is the conceptual view. It says that God gave the ideas to men who were left to their own abilities toward in writing the Bible. And that's also an incorrect view of inspiration uh, in, in whether or not the Bible comes from or is the word of God. Now, the correct view is the dual authorship 
view. Scripture, the word of God, is a combination of human and divine authorship. Listen to me. God revealed the subject matter and supervised its writing so that it was free from error. Yet God allowed the human author latitude in his own diction, in his own idioms, his own logic. Now, the result of dual authorship is that while each human author wrote in a unique style, the end product said what God wanted communicated and did so without error. So many verses assert uh, that both God and human author wrote a particular section uh, of the Bible. And that's important when you're studying and want to know more about uh, God's word and whether or not that Bible that you have in your home or in your car, for that matter, comes from or is uh, the word of God. But the question on the floor tonight, my friend, is how can we know that the Bible is the word of God? How can we know that it comes from God and not just a uh, good religious book to read or, uh, in some cases, I hear some people say a bedtime story? Well, again, there are both internal and external evidence, evidences to prove the Bible, historical, unique authority and power, uh, authority and power, uh, prophecies and miracles and whatnot. But the above lines of evidence are certainly consistent with the premise that the Bible is true. And many people have no doubt found such evidence quite convincing. Yet we must admit that none of those uh, evidences above proves that the Bible must be the inerrant word of God. Now, critics have their counter arguments to all of those questions or responses. If we are to know for certain that the Bible is true, we need a different kind of argument, one that is absolutely conclusive and irrefutable. In all those cases that I mentioned earlier, we can take uh, as an unstated premise that there are certain standards by which we judge how likely something is true. So when we stop to consider what these standards are, then we'll see standards themselves are proof that the Bible is true. I'll give you an example. The statement, the light is red or the light is not red. This statement cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. So putting it another way, only the Bible can make sense of the standards by which we evaluate whether or not something is true. So, and that comes through the laws of logic, for example. The laws of logic represent a standard by which we can judge certain truth claims. Uh, also, people seem to know laws like the law of non-contradiction. We all assume that such laws are the same everywhere and apply at all times without exception. But why is this? How do we know such things? Well, if we consider the biblical worldview, we find that we can make sense of the laws of logic. The Bible tells us that God's mind is the standard of all knowledge, Colossians 2, verse number 3. Since God upholds the entire universe and since he is beyond time, we would expect the laws of logic to apply everywhere in the universe at all times. Now, there can never be an exception to a law of logic because God's mind is sovereign over all truth. We can know laws of logic because we are made in God's image 
and are therefore able to think in a way that is consistent with his nature. So when we take the Bible as our worldview, we find the laws of logic make sense. But if we don't accept the Bible as true, we are left without a foundation for laws of logic. This is just one incident. But how can we know, apart from God, that laws of logic work everywhere? Well, that's a good question. After all, none of us have universal knowledge. Uh, We have not the experience, we have not experienced the future, nor have we traveled to distant regions of the universe. Yet, we assume that laws of logic will work in the future as they have in the past, and that they work in the distant cosmos as they work here. But how could we possibly know that? apart from revelation from God. Arguing the laws of logic have worked in our past experience is pointless because that's not the question. The question is how can we know that they will work in the future or in regions of space that we have never visited? Only the Christian worldview can make sense of the universal, exceptionless, unchanging nature of laws of logic. Now, apart from the truth revealed in the Bible, we would have no reason to assume that laws of logic apply everywhere at all times. Yet, we all do assume this. But only the Christian has a good reason to prove or to presume the continued reliability of that logic. However, the non-Christian, on the other hand, does not have such a reason in his own professed worldview. And so he or she is being irrational believing something without good reason. The unbeliever has only blind faith, but the Christian faith is in the Bible that makes knowledge that makes knowledge possible. The truth of the Bible is obvious to anyone willing to fairly investigate it. The truth of the Bible is obvious to anyone willing to fairly investigated. And I appreciate the question uh, that my uh, friend from Texas sent to us. But the Bible is uniquely self-consistent and extraordinarily authentic. It has changed the lives of millions of people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It has been confirmed countless times by history, by archaeology, by science. It possesses divine insight into the nature of the universe and has made correct predictions about distant future events with perfect accuracy. So when Christians read the Bible, they cannot help but recognize the voice of the creator. The Bible claims to be the word of God, and it demonstrates this claim by making knowledge possible. It is the standard of standards. So the proof of the Bible, unless the truth is presupposed, we couldn't prove anything at all. I want to thank that, that our, our query from Texas. How do we know the Bible comes from or is the word of God? This is a question that a lot of people have asked, and I hope that just this brief little answer uh, can give you uh, some uh, help you grasp that Bible and look at that Bible and investigate fairly what this Bible, what this Word of God actually says. And I'm sure that once you ask the Holy Spirit to help you in that endeavor, I'm sure that you will get the answers 
that you are looking for. Again, I mentioned earlier that Tim Bench and I are going to prepare a series of lessons regarding the doctrine of the Bible. It's a very interesting and thought-provoking position of the Bible. And I think we're going to enlighten many of you uh, as we we carry you through uh, this uh, Bible class, so to speak, in order to help you better understand and defend uh, the question of when people ask, uh, is the Bible uh, the Word of God? Does it come from the Word of God? How do the, how do the books of the Bible relate uh, in the Bible? Were they chronological? Um, there are many questions that you can ask uh, or been asked about the Bible. So I hope this lesson has helped that person and helped many of you uh, out there, and we hope to talk to you again or uh, hear from you again in the near future. So how do we know the Bible is the word of God? Because the Bible claims to be the word of God because it is demonstrated in a time and time again to be self-consistent and extraordinary authentic. And if you want to change in life, if you want to change from uh, where you have been to where you want to go, then the Bible will be your help from earth to glory. Stay in God's grip. God bless you. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When I see the Oh, yeah. 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host clay phillips and his subject an unchanging friend good evening I want to thank brother tim bench for the marvelous job he did on this evening in preaching about judas iscariot and I also want to Thank Dr. Frank uh, Washington for the way he answered that particular question. There are uh, much more to come from that particular question. So we're just so thankful for them. Now, I'm going to look at a subject that I think that is encouraging to ministers of the gospel. If you're a minister of the gospel, if you know you preach, you call him up and tell him, say, uh, turn to uh, Facebook and uh, listen to Block Talk Radio Show on this evening. And Brother Phillips is going to be talking about uh, the unchanging friend, the unchanging friend. There is nothing like knowing and having true friends. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Second Epistle of Timothy, Paul write to this young preacher and encourage him to come and see him. So let's look, begin reading at Second Timothy chapter four. I want to commence reading at verse number nine and terminate at verse eighteen. Have your Bibles now. Read along with me. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for demons have forsaken me having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, Cyprus to Galilee, Titus to Demetrius. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. 
Antiochus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Taurus with coppers, when thou cometh, bring with thee and books, but especially the parchment. Verse 14 says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord rewarded him according to his works. Of whom be thou were also, in other words, look out for him, watch him. For he has greatly withstood our word. At my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be led to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Let me read that one more time. Verse 17. Notwithstanding, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever in mind. The unchanging friend. This is a very powerful lesson. Paul is writing to young preacher Timothy from prison. And I want you to understand that suffering uh, for the truth is not easy to do. If you're a minister of the gospel, if you dedicated to the kingdom of God, you understand that it is tough being a child of the king. Uh, suffering has often to be endured with loneliness. In other words, when you think about it, uh, most preachers, we, most of us have to hang by ourselves. We have to be alone. We don't hang with us because folks don't look at us the same. They look at us as uh, above sin, which is, <laughs> that is not the case. Romans 3, 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You remember it was this same Paul that wrote to Timothy that said, O wretched man that I am. He talk about how things that he would do, he do not do. The things that he shouldn't do, he find himself doing. Paul understood uh, what friendship was all about. And so here in the text, Paul is dealing with uh, bringing it to the forefront. There is a Beautiful quality in this text. Now, you all stay with me. Let me take the time 
Take your time, Brother Philip. There is a beautiful quality in the text. Notice now in verse number nine. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So he understood for him to come, he had to do diligence. In other words, there was a lot of things he had to leave uh, undone in his obligation. So oftentimes friends, true friends, have to sometimes ignore what they are doing to come to you and forward you and to help you do what you need to do. So he says, so Paul says here, do that diligence to come shortly unto me. In other words, I really, really need you. I really, really need friendship. Listen, listen. Friendship is more valuable when it is tested. <laughs> Anybody can say they're your friend. But when it is tested, that's when you really know your friend. Turn your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter 18. And I want to look at verse 24. There's a lot of meat in verse 24. Proverbs chapter 18, and the verse is number 24, and we find these words written. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh it closer than a brother. Now, what is the psalmist talking about? What is he dealing with here? Now, he says here, notice now in verse 24, he says, a man that hath friends. In other words, he already have friends. Now, what he's teaching, now listen to this. What he's teaching is, in the text, he's teaching exegetically that uh, that some people can't keep a friend. <laughs> oh, Brother Phillips, teach Brother Phillips. Let the Bible speak. Now, what he's teaching here, what he's showing us, that there are some people that cannot keep a friend. Let me show it to you. He said, a man that has, in other words, you've got friends. A man that has friends must show himself to be friends. In other words, if you have friends, you have demonstrated, you have been tested that you are friendly. <laughs> you are demonstrated that you are a friendly individual, that you got the back, you, that you are there for them. And so, listen to it again. A man that has friends. Woo! In other words, you got friends. Now, if you got friends, you have already demonstrated that you are friendly. Now, in other words, it, it says, must show himself friendly. In other words, you will ruin your friendship if you do not be friendly and demonstrate and be tested as a friend. Good God Almighty. The Bible speaks, Brother Philip. You will, you notice what it says, a man that has friends. So this individual have friends. And the reason why he have friends is because he has demonstrated and been tested that he is nice, that he's kind, that he got you back. He says, a man that has friends 
must show. In other words, the word show here is that he has shown it. He has demonstrated it. You remember Jesus told the story that a man came, had a friend, and, and a friend came to a house late at night and needed something to eat. So he went to his friend, knocked on the door, and said, listen, I have a friend that needs some food. Can you give me some food? He said, man, it's late at night. We're in the bed. Everybody in the bed. I don't have time for this. He knocked on the door and said, listen, I have a friend that needs to eat, and he's traveling through. Can you give me something to eat? And the man said, man, come on now. But his friend opened the door and gave it to him. So Jesus said, now Jesus gave this parable. He said, now if you know, if you've been evil, have mercy. If you've been evil, know how to give good gifts to your friend. How much more? Woo! <laughs> Let the Bible speak, brother. How much more will God give us? Because Jesus Christ is our friend. Woo! God Almighty. Somebody will say amen up in here. Jesus Christ is our friend. So a man that has friends must show. That means he has demonstrated, he has been tested himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now what I mean here is that uh that there is a friend that is that will not and will not change. He is unchanging. He is that friend that is called Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ is that friend that will never change. So now let's go back to our text. Let's look at now at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look now at verse number 10. Now, now understand, the apostle Paul is teaching us and helping us to understand. He said, I'm in prison, and I need I, I'm I'm just disturbed. I, now understand, I know I'm going to heaven. That's not the issue. The issue is, but I'm lonely. I'm, I'm I feel bad. Why? How do you know? Because you notice now in verse number six, he's back at verse six of Second Timothy chapter four. He says, "For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand." You know what? I know I'm going to leave here. But he says, "I have thought of this fight." I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also all them also that love his appearance. He said, I want you to know that I had some rough times in life. I had some difficult days. When I was sore, I was killing Christians. Then I had to convince other Christians that I was their friend. <laughs> Preach, brother, but let the Bible speak. I had to convince them that I was their friend. I understand this, that I am, Paul, I'm telling you that, listen, that there is a friend. And those of us that love his appearance, then he gets personal. And, and being a preacher is personal. Understand that. It, it, it's personal. He said, do not diligent to come shortly unto me. So he's talking 
He's telling Timothy, he's telling them, I want you to understand this thing is, is deep. So he says, now, I'm, let, me, let me drop this. He said, let me drop this on you. He said, for demons have forsaken me. It, it, it seemed like if you're a preacher, it seems like when you really, 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 really need friends, it seems like they always leave at the wrong time. Now, understand this here. A true friend is going to be there through thick and thin. <laughs> Amen. Uh, when, when, I, when we got uh, brothers here at the Rose City Church of Christ, uh, Elder Power, Elder Tillman, um, Deacon Glenn, Deacon High, these men will be, that have been with me for 38 years. Listen, they are the backbone of the church. They have been here. Now, I got some friends that is going to demonstrate and that be a part of verse 8. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, Paul said for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And that's what Paul said. I know I'm going to be get that crown. Uh, Brother Brock, I know you're going to get that crown. Look at him. Then he says, and not to me only. Paul said, I'm not going to be to me only, but also to all them that love his superior. In other words, I'm looking for my friend. Now, this friend, Paul said, I want you to understand, Demas have forsaken me. In other words, he grieved right here. He, he understand. He said, Demas have forsaken me. He said, let me. Let me explain something to you all. Demas have forsaken me. Why have demons forsaken me? Having love this present world. So you're going to have folks. Don't be preachers, elders, deacons, members of the church, body of Christ. Don't be surprised that folk will leave you. There are people that say that they are your friends, but they will leave you. They talk the noise, but they don't walk the walk. There are people that always holler by, man, I, that's my friend. And, and now, you, you are, who, friend, are you? First of all, understand, he says, I want you to know, if you're my friend, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. <laughs> but why do I need to man? He's still in greed here. Look at it. Paul is still in greed. He says, he says I, I'm, I'm greed. I need somebody. Now, whether it was anybody at the prison camp with him or not, we don't know, but I believe that he was there by himself. It became personal. It became a personal circumstance. And he drew conclusion. I need somebody. I need to talk to somebody. Who can the preacher talk to when he is lonely? Who can the preacher talk to when he's going through some stuff? Who can? Can he find a real friend? Can you find a friend? Paul said here, demons have forsaken me. Why did he forsake me? Loving this present world. That's a, that's a sad commentary. To leave a friend of God, to leave God for this, to love this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens, he gone to Galatia, Titus unto Demetria, so he, and I'm, I'm here by myself, except, uh-oh, uh-oh, 
in verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. What? Only Luke is with me. Now, I, I, let me tell y'all something. This, this, you gotta, I got to pause right here because this is, this is deep. Only Luke is with me. Paul in prison. He's feeling down and out. He needs some comfort. He needs somebody to talk to. God, in his providential schedule, left Luke there. Why did God leave Luke? Because Luke is a doctor. <laughs> Luke is a doctor. Paul is more concerned about the inner man. And oftentimes, we as preachers and leaders of the church and those of us that are trying to live God's will, we all, yes, we understand the inner man. Yes, we are to teach the word of God. Yes, but at, there are times where you need to be concerned about your body. You need to be concerned about your health. You need to be concerned about uh, what you eat. Are you eating properly? Are you taking your diabetes medicine, Clay Lee? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Can I get a witness up in here? Are you taking care of yourself? Paul in prison. God, he says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 15, in verse number 36, Paul and Barnabas were best of friends, and they had some issues. Why? Because Paul said, Mark is not going with us because Mark, Left me when I needed him. Good God in my lips. By the speak, Mother Philip. Mark left me, and I'm not taking him. And the Bible says that they had a dispute. And I tell the picture, read it for yourself. I'm not going to read it. They had a dispute. They were arguing. They were bickering. And oftentimes, uh, true friends go through some stuff. Elder Power, the Elder Tillman, and Brother Glenn, all of us have gone through some stuff. You cannot be here 38 years and not go through some things. We, there are some things. There are times when you're going to have the ups and the downs, and you're going to struggle. But look at what he says here. He says, now notice now, only Luke is with me. Then he thought about Mark. <laughs> Woo! He says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry's sake. In other words, Mark, uh, you can go through some stuff and have some issues in life, but a true friend has to be tested. So Mark was tested. Then it says, then it says, Antiochus have I sent to Ephesus. Then it says, now notice now, evidently Luke had told him you need to take care of your body. Because verse 13, let us know he's cold. He's going to take care of the body. He's going to look at it. Look, look what it says. The cloak, that's the body. You're taking care of the body. You're looking at the body. The clothes that I left at Troas with coppers, when thou cometh, bring with thee and the books, the mind. So the body and the mind. We, we notice now the body and the mind. So a true friend is not only concerned about your body, they're concerned about your mind. In other words, he says, notice what it says. He said, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou cometh, bring it with thee, and the books 
but especially the parchment. In other words, the parchment was the old uh, testament that Paul had and the writing of the New Testament that he was pending. So he said, what I need you to do, I need you to bring me uh, a coat because it's cold up in here. Take care of the body. Then he said, not only that, I need you to take care of my mind. Uh, I, I need to put my mind. I need to continue to write. I need to put some stuff in the book. And the Old Testament and the New Testament was the parch. Then he says, as he was penning this, in verse 14, he thought about something. He said, Alexander. Now, now he said, let me, let me tell you all something. Let me tell you, I'm talking about true friendship, the unchanging friend, the unchanging friend. But let me tell you something. There are some enemies also that are unchanging. Ooh, let the Bible speak, Brother Philip. There are some friends that are unchanging, and there are some enemies that are unchanging. Oh, help me up here, Lord. Give me power. He said, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil. Alexander, <laughs> the coppersmith, did me much evil. But he says, now, in other words, listen, don't you try to fight your enemy. You, you, don't, don't do it. I, I know you want to. Uh, there was time where I, I wanted to, to do bodily harm to certain people because you might well, I'm human like everybody else now. And Brother Glenn, Deacon Glenn said, Brother Philip, calm down. Uh, calm down. Because this, this, uh, this, this, you got friends. Woo, look at it. Alexander Coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord, listen, the Lord rewarded him according to his work. You let the Lord take care of your enemy. That's what you do. Don't you try. You got your enemy is going to be test. They're going to test you. See what you're going to do. Then it says, of whom be thou well also. In other words, he's a, this, Alexander the coppersmith is a bad boy. He's a dangerous fellow. He's not going to give up. He's a dangerous fellow. For he has greatly withstood our words. Oh, my goodness. He has withstood our words. <laughs> oh, look at here. Verse 16. But notice in verse 16, he says, at my first, at my first. Now, then he's going back to, and, and he said, let me tell you all something. At my first, no man stood. In, you know, when I first became a Christian, when I first became a child of God, when I obeyed the gospel, I was going from town to town, city to city, throwing folks in jail. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And there was a bright light overshadowed me, blinded me, and told me to go to a street called Straight. And when I went there, and I found one of the apostles there, and he told me, I told him, listen, um, I'm blind. See, sometimes God will blind you. And so he blinded me. And he said, he said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Paul said, listen, at my first, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. What? Nobody want to believe. In, in that song, that I leave him alone. 
They can't believe. And you know, oftentimes folks deal with your past life and they try to determine whether or not God used you. Hello. Let the Bible speak, Brother Phillips. Oftentimes, people will look at your past life and don't and cannot see God working in you. And here, Paul said, they looked at my past life and they thought that God was not working with me. He said, but all men forsook me. And he said, listen, do not get an attitude problem. He said, I pray God that it may not be led to their charge. <laughs> now, Paul dealt with his body. Paul dealt with his mind. Now, Paul dealing with his spirit. He's dealing with his spirit here. He said, my spirit, my spirit is not about convenience. My spirit is not about going after somebody. It, it, it's not about, it had nothing to do with it. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to go at anybody and kill anybody and get mad at anybody. I'm not, that, that is not me. Listen, a true friend, that, 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 that's, not, that's not being a, a true friend. Oh, my goodness. Let, let, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Uh, show your Bibles now to uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. It said, let brother love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels unaware. Is that in your Bible? That entertain angels unaware. So if you back up uh, to chapter <laughs> 12, notice chapter 12, it, it says in verse 28, wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us therefore have grace whereby we may serve God acceptable and noted and reverence and fear. So here we understand the unchanging friend. So let's go back to our text. Second Timothy chapter four. Notice what he says in verse number seventeen. Notwithstanding, uh oh, no, no, no. Here's the unchanging friend. I got a few more minutes here. Here is the unchanging friend. Notwithstanding, the unchanging friend. Notwithstanding, the Lord. <laughs> Woo! The Lord stood with me. And strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fulfilled and known that all the Gentiles, you remember Paul was a Jew, and God said, One of your punishments is that you're going to go preach to the Gentiles. That's right. So you, you, you do, bad boy. So, so the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me. From every evil work, and will preserve me unto the heavenly kingdom. Now understand this. Understand this. Christ is that true friend. Let me try to wrap this up. Christ, Christ is that true friend. Paul demonstrates in the text and describes the immutability of God. He deals with uh, the unchanging time that God, unchanging, God is not changing over time. In other words, some of our friends change on us, but God is unchanging. 
Time does not change God. God is unchanged. Uh, uh, let, let me let me let me show it. Turn your Bible. Uh, go to uh, John, uh, Saint John. Uh, most people call it John 15 and the verse is number 10. John 15 and the verse is number 10. Jesus Christ is talking here. John 15 and verse number 10. <clears throat> All right. Notice now in verse number 10. John 15 and verse number 10. If you then be if you then keep my commandment, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you that ye joy might be remain in you and that your joy may be full. But notice in verse number 12, he says, this is the commandment that you love one another. Hello, as I love you. Notice in verse 13, he says, greater love. Have no man, listen, than that which laid down his life for his friend. Paul understood that Jesus had laid down his life for us. So Paul said, listen, I'm not worried about laying down my life. What I'm worried about is making sure that the obligation of commandment is completed. Notice in verse number uh, 14 again, if, verse 14, ye are my friends. Now, this is Jesus. This is the reason. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. Jesus said, now you are my friend. He said, greater love have no man than this. He lays life down for his friend. Then verse 14 says, ye are my friends. If ye do whatsoever command. Henceforth, I call you not servant. For the servant know not what the Lord does, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard in of my Father, I have made known unto you. A friend would tell you a thought. You don't have no secrets. I'm telling you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. That you should go and bring forth fruit. So, in words, true friend, bring forth fruit. Now, understand this. Let me say this. Let me say this. God is not mute. Now, I'm not, I'm not teaching the immutability of God and that God is mute. In other words, that he's not, he's not <clears throat> uh, moving in our lives. Uh, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, called to his purpose. God is moving in our lives. Understand that now. Understand that uh, Isaiah 59, 1 says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is it heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquity has separated between you and your God. So God said, I, I want you to understand. Paul is telling us, God Number one, number one, that God does not uh, change. Number two, God has no potential. Now, now let me drop that on you again. God has no potential. In other words, God is God. He cannot improve. <laughs> Woo! God is God. He cannot improve. Man improves. We develop, we improve, or we get worse. But God has no potential. 
In other words, turn to James, James chapter 1. Very quick, like James chapter 1, and let me start tell you. James chapter 1, and the verse is number 17. James 1 and 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. Now, what do I mean by this? <clears throat> variableness, meaning that there is no, God attempt to change. God is God. He cannot change. He has no potential. He doesn't get better. He is the best. Good, better, best. Let me say that one more time. Good, better, best. God is best. <coughs> Excuse me. God is best. Number two. God, number three, rather. God does not change his mind. God does not change his mind. What do you mean, Brother Phillips? God changed covenants. There's uh, the, the nomadic covenant. There's the Mosaic covenant. There's the covenant with David. There's the covenant of Abraham. And there's a new covenant, which the patriarch, the Mosaic, and the Christian age. So God does not change his mind, but God changed his covenant. In other words, uh, the Bible says that God repented, changed his mind. No, 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 no. Understand that. Understand that. God is omnipresent. God knows everything. What God does, God works uh, through, uh, let, let me see, didactic. Now, there's a thing called autodidactic, but God works through didactic. In other words, teaching of the Bible, that the metaphor of language to help us understand, because we <laughs> are not God, of Godhead. We are not omnipotent. We, are, we don't know all under present. We don't know all things. So God, we are not uh, autodidactic. God is didactic. In other words, there is no, he can learn. He knows all things. And so, number five. <coughs> I got to wrap this up. Number five, the, the Bible describes God in human terms to help us understand when it says the arms of God in Isaiah 59, it, because that helped us. The cattle of a thousand hills, you're not talking about cattle of a thousand hills, about God using that to understand, that's what we understand. Number six, uh, can prayer change God's mind? You know it. Moses prayed. No, no. It, God knows everything. Pharaoh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes, because Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. God used Moses. When Moses was on the mountain, and God, and God recognized him, God knew what was going on down there. They had built a golden calf. And God said, I'm going to kill them all, your people. And Moses said, Lord, whoa, whoa, Lord. Your, God said, your people. In other words, God was letting Moses know that they had gotten out of hand. They asked your people. 
I mean, God said, Moses, if you do this, what's going to happen is, everybody's going to say that he brought them out of the land of Egypt, and then he, and then he took them out of the wilderness and killed them. And so while Moses was going down and praying, God uh, repented, the Bible says. Now, the God repented is to demonstrate to us that it was already in God's mind, already predestined, already the thought of God. God knew what was going to happen. God knew Moses was going to go down there and do his thing. Moses got down there, and he just got angry and cast him, and everybody, he said, everybody on the Lord's side, come on this side, everybody not, about 3,000 souls. Now, what is interesting, the Bible says that they, they tried to run, and their foot was sealed to the ground. They couldn't move. Amen? They could not move. And then God has no B plan. Listen, God don't need a B plan. God doesn't. Let me say this. And in my conclusion, I got five minutes. Uh, I, got, I guess this is my time up. God have no B plan. <laughs> he don't need a B plan. Man need a B plan. I need a B plan. If this don't happen, this is what I'll do. God don't have a B plan. God is God. That's what David said in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He making me to lie down in green pastures, leading me beside the still water. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Dine with me. Thy rod and thy staff that do comfort me. That's my friend. Jesus, my friend. In Hebrews, let me wrap it up. In Hebrews, it said he he's the same from my Christ. You know, he don't change. Don't you know that? Christ doesn't change. He's the same. Yesterday, yesterday, when I woke up yesterday, when I woke up this morning, and when it lost will, I wake up in the morning, if the lost will, Jesus does not change. He's the same. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's an unchanging friend. Some of my friends throughout the years change. I I try my best to continue. The change I want to make is for the good, not for the bad, not for the worst. And so the Bible says in Galatians 6, uh, if a man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself first, let thou also be tempted. Don't don't even think about that. You, how can you sit there, or stand there, or listen to me and holler about? Uh, I know somebody done wrong. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a friend that don't change. I, he's the only friend that will not change. You must hear the gospel. The gospel is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must believe it. You must repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus Christ is that. A that will not change for <laughs> Baptized because he died on the cross. Look at it. Uh, right along here, I used to kind of get a little hoop, but I can't hoop in. But here he, Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, died on the cross. Lally, Sunday morning. Got up, my friend. May God bless you. Remember this. Keep it real.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Thinking about what you've done for me in my life, I just want to say what you really mean to me. You're my everything, my joy and peace. You're the reason why I sing. Lord, I don't deserve anything you give me, so I just gotta say thank you. Oh, for tonight, for your love and grace, so I just gotta tell you this. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning in to our broadcast on this evening. What a show, what a show. Ladies and gentlemen, the Gospel Light Radio Show is live on Thursday night. These brothers have done an outstanding job from start to finish. I tell you, my cup is just running over, and I just hope you feel the same way. I want to uh, thank all those who are following this broadcast through Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. Uh, My co-host, Clay Phillips, he always presents his messages on Facebook Live. You can go to his Facebook page and see the presentation on on this Thursday night. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my co-host, Tim Bench, for his lesson on Judas Iscariot. Tim always does a great job. I always enjoy listening to Tim. I also want to thank my co-host, Clay Phillips, with all the energy that he brings to this broadcast. 
whenever he presents his lessons, I just love sitting listening to him preach the word of God. Also, my co-host, Dr. Frank, he always does a great job in answering his questions, very thorough in the answers that he gives. And I appreciate all the, uh, my co-hosts on this broadcast who are giving their efforts each week on this show, preaching and teaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just so thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast. And it is our prayer that these lessons that were given on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and that your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in to this radio show, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's Word. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler, and I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Yeah.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 244. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. Said it's all about my Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about God. The songs that I sing. All about God, yeah. And the message that I bring is all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. Let it die. 